Hello and welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, the Centrelink's podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. So welcome to a special Halloween edition of Everything is Canon, where I'm joined by New York Times bestselling horror writer Ryan Douglas. We talk about his book, The Taking of Jake Livingston, his experience as a debut author, how we feel about Halloween, and lots of scary things, both fictional and non. Spoiler warning. We do talk about some spoilers from The Taking of Jake Livingston, so if you haven't read that book yet and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely come back once you've read it. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, now that we can do that again, and we should do this each and every time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month. So we should all take the approach. If you see something, say something, whether it be online or out in the real world. And while it may be hard to do, it really could mean the world difference to somebody who is a victim of bullying. This, of course, should be done all year long, not just because the calendar says so. Uh, welcome to the uh, 2021 Halloween edition of Everything is Canon. And who better to discuss these types of things with than a New York Times bestselling horror author? Ryan Douglas is an author, poet, and freelance writer from Atlanta, Georgia. His work on race, literacy, sexuality, and media representation has appeared in the Huffington Post, Atlanta Black Star, Everyday Fenism, Nerdy POC, Age of Awareness, LGBTQ Nation, and a medium, and among many, 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 many more. His debut novel, The Taking of Jake Livingston, a YA horror that came out in July, is described as Get Out meets Daniel Vega and this YA horror where survival is not a guarantee. That is a, looking back now, it's a horrible blurb. Um, <laughs> but it's all right. No, I mean, not that those things in it aren't great. But anyways, uh, please welcome to the show our today's subject matter expert is what I'm calling. I'm Ryan Douglas. Hi, Ryan. Thank you. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we're going to talk a little, little Jake Livingston, little horror, a couple other awesome. things probably true. Um, what's it? Uh, it's a funny thing, you know, with these intros, because yeah, I'm just reading from your website there. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's only going to get longer, hopefully, right? Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Um, is it still... Yeah. Is it like weird hearing somebody talk about you like that or are you cool with it or? Um, yes, it's very weird. Yeah. I actually don't like talking about myself and my own achievements. So yeah. <laughs> that like it's probably going to get even shorter just because I don't like having a long resume. I feel like it's kind of. I don't really see the point in it too much. Like it's a- I want to be known by my work and yeah. the work is out there and I I'm just who I am, you know, I'm just right. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, I, it, it's I hard. Think... Sorry, it's hard too because, yeah, like I've interviewed people like, um, you know, like uh, Fenderson, uh, Jelly Clark and stuff, and they have like mm-hmm. massive fucking resumes. And I like, I can't, yeah. I have to edit it right down. And, and even he is just like, he's just talking to them. And, and you sort of, when, when they hear it, they'd forgotten stuff. They're like, was that me? <laughs> Did I do all yeah. that? Right. Like, oh, yeah. um, I very much like your approach though. Yeah. Like let's, let's talk about the work, you know what I mean? And, and that stuff too, what I just read, and this is, this goes for even just like um, book summaries, fucking anyone can look that up and read it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's anywhere for anyone to read. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, go to uh, ryandouglas.com and you can read all that stuff. You can read what Jake Livingston's about and all these things. So 
it's nice to get somebody on and talk about other things, right? Like, and talk about yeah. things that interest you. And, and, if, and if we're allowed to be able to dig deep into the book, speaking of which, uh, I will post a tag at the beginning of this, but just a reminder, we are going to do a little bit of spoiler talk with uh, the taking of Jake Livingston. So this is your final warning, but um, yeah. it is nice to like, uh, just, I don't know, just talk, right? Just be cool. I really just put the stuff in my bio because I know that, that's what you're supposed to do. And yeah, I try to do what I'm supposed to do in between flipping the table and breaking all the rules. <laughs> I try to like be normal. Yeah. So. Well, uh, there is a certain, uh, I guess, I don't know what's the right way to say it. You got to uh, play ball. I don't fucking know. Like play the game, uh, play the game. Yeah. yeah like the, the author, do the author things. You have to have a website. You have to do this. You have to do that. Have you, I've asked this question many times for authors. Have you, because not everyone's great and it's sort of like a new phenomenon in the history of the world, certainly, but like social media and the way authors are being asked to market themselves in some instances. Have you been, have you been asked to do more marketing of yourself on social media by the publisher? Um, uh, So I think that my social media presence is, it's, it's very unique in that I don't do branding like that. I kind of just put myself out there and talk about the things that I'm interested in and share my opinions, which sometimes can be very um, opinionated. <laughs> so I think that aspect of my social media is the selling point. So I don't have to do a lot of the you know, here I am in this publication and this is when my cover's coming out. Like, I don't do a lot of that because yep. I just feel like I'm a personality and. Yeah. And they would have known that when they signed, when they signed to work with you. Yes. I think that is yeah. what my publisher likes about me as well, that I tend to bring my authentic self to my social media and it's never plastic. You know, it's always me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, listen, it's, it's, I know it's just part of the thing, but like, if I read one, one more fucking vague tweet, <laughs> uh, news, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to murder somebody. Uh, I get it. It's part of the thing, but yeah. Oh. It's, it's useless. I mean, it, if you're trying to gin up some, some excitement about a reveal or something, you know, like, again, I'm not begrudging people to do it good for you. And I'm, you know, I, you know, it's, it's just, I understand it's part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. Uh, it's uh yeah like i'm not insulting anybody of course but it's just it's and they, and they even know they're doing it because you know, <laughs> right you'll see people yeah. tweet it out and they'll be like i know this is annoying but here's another vague tweet it's, or whatever yeah, yeah it's like an inside joke okay if you're not gonna talk shit i'm not gonna talk shit but it just i don't know it's almost like okay now i'm not gonna talk shit you can talk shit i mean just don't mention <laughs> don't mention any names that's all you can say whatever yeah, you want it's yeah, just yeah. it's almost like uh good things are happening for me but i can't share them with you and it's kind of like why not wait until we can all participate partake in the good news um it is a yeah it's a weird choice right like <laughs> yeah. just 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 tell us what it is or or don't yeah or don't, I mean, or don't waste our time i don't know <laughs> right. um it's and it, the thing is it's also because I'm just so cynical generally, it's mm -hmm. almost like, is this, yeah. Are you just like part of this marketing machine thing or are you just, are you just truly genuinely excited and happy for yourself and you just need to like let it out somewhere? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so I, I don't think it's a marketing machine. I think so too. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've talked to a lot of authors who, who have been asked specifically by their publisher to do more on social media and they're not comfortable doing it. And they've just had to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable doing it. And the publisher has been cool with that in most cases, you know what I mean? But it's just a new thing, right? Like Twitter is new in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. So this, this idea that, you know, you and then for, with some really great articles from like Jason calendar and, and other types who talk about it, where Twitter is a fucking shithole on most days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why should I put my feet in the fire to move no units mm-hmm. or very little? Now that's a great spot to be in for sure. Um, uh, Cause maybe sometimes a hundred books is a lot for somebody, for some authors just getting started or indie publishers or self publishers for sure. But is it worth your your mental health? Well, health, right, and your sanity. I, I like. I know that nothing that I've ever said on Twitter has sold any of my books because right. I don't talk about them. Like, <laughs> right. I, like I, right, I just, right. I think, like I said, like I just brought my authentic self to Twitter, and I think that's what has sold my books because people like me and they support me, my supporters like who I am. So they're going to support me, you know, regardless of what I do. Yeah. And I think that's really the most effective thing that you can do. And it takes a lot less effort to just bring yourself to Twitter and just tweet about, because I've been on Twitter since I was 14. So it's always been like a way for me to just express myself and just have my own little corner of the internet. Yeah. And that never really changed for me. Like I started getting involved and, building my career but i just continue to use the website for irreverent kind of funny whatever stuff because yeah. that's what i think it's for i i never i don't think that it was ever meant to be a place where you're like selling books or selling whatever you're doing i think it just became that uh, and people chose to use it that way but i don't know that it's especially effective in the way that people seem to think it is at least not from the approach of like talking about your books all the time updating everybody on everything that's happening and there's nothing wrong with that obviously people want to see what's going on and want to be informed but it it, it gets a little bit overboard <laughs> yeah i think uh, you're right i would agree that it probably doesn't move too many units and i would also it's i you know i kind of look at it as just one tool of many and i guess the hope mm-hmm. is that you know all these tools you ha- they're all in your toolbox, I guess. And hopefully the summation of all that work does have an impact. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, that's kind of what I'm hoping maybe or thinking, but yeah, I don't know, but uh, it is a weird thing. And because, and, and you know, social media in general is such a fucked up thing because we know we're being sold right. Constantly on something. And we know we're being manipulated into certain things and, but we still engage in it because we're just addicted to it or whatever. But um, yeah, it's a weird, weird phenomenon, right. Where it's on any given day, like this morning, I had a couple of really cool exchanges on Twitter. And then I had a couple of really just read about a couple of really shitty things. So I just like, this <laughs> yeah. it, right. It's this constant. Right. It's almost like you can't, it's gotta be, it's gotta balance out. It's almost like you can't have just a great day on Twitter or a really shitty no, day on Twitter. Really it's can't. gotta be balanced. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that especially for YA and like the, re- like I have no issue with anybody branding themselves or doing what they need to do. I think that, you know, for some people, 
they have bigger uh, marketing budgets from their publishers and others right. don't. So right. that really um, depends on, or that is your Twitter behavior is dependent on that very much. So um, I think that if I didn't realize just how elitist YA publishing tends to be and how people like to put themselves in categories above others, it would not bother me. Um, but just the culture of YA is very like competitive, very like, the, the bar keeps moving whenever you get something and then it's like bragging about your deal and bragging about your second book and it just gets so braggy that when I see marketing in the YA space it's like is it really that you're trying to sell your books or is it that you're trying to tell us that you're better than us <laughs> um, I don't know maybe that's just my view of things and it's completely innocent I don't know um a Twitter in general just tends to be so combative so everything could be coded as like violence or just could be that's right right (laughs) i don't know that's right and i mean especially it's it's uh i'd be lying if i said i I didn't think that occasionally when some people are like it just feels like bragging sometimes um Mm -hmm. and it's and it's it's a tricky spot to uh especially when you get into marginalized authors um because the the slice is so small still right um and it's if anyone has a right to be happy and brag about getting a book released. It is a, it is a black author. It is a marginalized author, especially because it's still, yeah. you know, we know the 8911 number, right? Percentages. It's still, it's way fucking skewed in the wrong direction. So it's, it's, you don't want to begrudge anybody their, that accomplishment and their happiness. Um, yeah. But, okay. uh, but I, uh, but I just full honesty, I'd be lying if I didn't feel the same way sometimes. Like, like sometimes you, I'm just like, okay, it's, we get it. <laughs> yeah, we get it. You yeah. Yesterday. yeah, yeah, for sure. I know it's, it's a shitty attitude on my part, I guess, for sure. But I don't know. Well, it's, it's, we're both shitty. So. Okay. <laughs> deal, deal. We're in the, we're in the shitty club. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the stuff you don't know until you, you know, you don't, until you release a book, there's so many things you just don't know what was, Anything that, uh, so now that you're on the backside of releasing a book, uh, mm-hmm. anything sort of uh, jump out at you uh, as being exceptionally cool or exceptionally shitty? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll start with the exceptionally shitty thing since we were already on the shitty. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the shitty part is that things go very slowly yeah. on the publisher side, just in terms of editing and marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they expect us to write very quickly. So right. um, I waited and like, this is like not shade to my editor at all because my editor completely made the Taking Jake Livingston what it is today. Um, Stacy Barney. Stacy Barney, okay. Yeah, um, she's done a lot. She did Beasts of Prey. Um, she did the, she's done a ton of stuff and she's yep. really, she like knows what she's doing completely. Yep. But I had to wait about a, a little over a year for my first edit letter after I sold my book. And I kind of thought that it would just be, you know, a matter of weeks and then we'd get it through and my book would come out next year um, after I sold it. But I had to wait, like I had to edit and wait like close to four years for my release to actually come. And that was excruciating. That's a long, long um, time. Yeah, It was very long. Um, I think that... A positive thing that I have found is I I don't think I really realized just how traditional publishing really aids the distribution of a book because I'd done self-published work. I published self-published a YA when I was like 
less experienced as an author. And then I self-published a, a poetry book and the, the drastic difference between having a traditional publisher push out your book versus self-publishing is that really floored me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I knew it was there, but it just seeing it in target and all the stores that I go to on a regular basis has been really mind blowing and surreal for me. Yeah. There's, a, there's this whole machine behind it, right. That you just don't have, yeah. any, you have no part of it. Yeah. <laughs> right? You yeah, have zero just, say or part in it. Right. Yeah. It's just appearing in libraries and bookstores. <laughs> yeah. and like, wow. How did you guys know about me? Like, <laughs> That's oh, right. It's published by Penguin. Um, I was talking to another interview earlier today and their book had, has been optioned. And to this day, she still has no idea how this production company got a hold of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Like they just have no yeah. idea. And she's just There's like, like scouts everywhere. And they yeah. just find out about you and just yeah, this I, crazy big machine. And uh, yeah, yeah. He just, I mean, I guess writers, right. <laughs> and you guys worry about the rest, but yeah. And that's yeah. a big, that's a big difference between like, and like you said, self-pub and, and traditional, even indie um, self-publishing is no joke, right? Like it's a lot, it's a lot of shit you got to do. And, and uh, it's not only the financial burden, but you got like just chasing stuff down, right? You're going to meet your computer. You basically right. like, turned into a business owner at that point, haven't you? Cause you're going to be you know, yeah. emailing constantly and following up and this and that and marketing and designing. And like, if you don't have a flair for just any of that stuff, like you're kind of screwed, aren't you? Right. It's real, it's real yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. Self-published authors, when they talk about their work and promote their work, I have, I mean, I get it, you know? Yeah. It's one thing to have like a huge marketing budget and huge distribution channels, but yeah, they really rely on social media. And I experienced that with my poetry book as well, just having to hit the ground running and get it out there. It's it's a big challenge. It's a different group of readers too, isn't it? And like there's, yeah. you know, self-pub readers that just don't like, you know, they're very uh, clicky, aren't they? So um, mm-hmm. it's it's always a tough, tough thing to do. Um, so horror, what's your... Uh, what's your history with horror? Like, is that your fate? Talk about sort of, you know, growing up, being a kid, like liking horror, not liking it. What was your first, mm-hmm. what were, what were some of the like books, films, TV shows that sort of you really uh, fell in love with in that, uh, in that genre? Yeah. So my most distinctive memory as a kid of being exposed to horror was seeing Bride of Chucky on the TV. Yeah. For some reason, the TV was on, Bride of Chucky was on, nobody else was in the room with me. And <laughs> That are you into the new show at all or uh the new chucky yeah it's uh, it's a tv show yeah isn't it i haven't seen it i, oh, I, I could have swore I thought, there's a tv show i know <laughs> that's funny um i knew there was an updated movie but it looked like they kind of like cut the fangs off the content and it just wasn't what it was in the past so i just wasn't very interested in it yeah yeah, yeah. it looked like a very corporate sponsored it's a show version. yeah no it's a series okay wow i know um uh, it on... didn't look as unhinged as the original Chucky that I fell in love with as a six-year-old watching the craziness of oh these God, Brad, Brad Dorf's doing the voice too. <laughs> that's okay. A, that's amazing. Um, um, yeah, it is a series. So there, we both kind of just learned something. I thought I saw an ad for it. and um, But yeah, anyways. But you're no, oh, yeah. Well, to your point, a, yeah, there's no way it's as, as edgy as the original. No, series. no, no. The, that that was like batshit unhinged crazy. And I loved it. Like it scared me to death, but I loved it. And I just had developed this like grotesque fascination with, weird stuff like that yeah um and that kind of started my journey very young i started getting into horror 
Um, I was really inspired by horror aimed at kids. So mm-hmm. like Monster House and um, Coraline was really big for me. Paranorman, those kinds of movies um, probably inspired Jake more than adult horror, although I've also been really into that. I really love James Wan. Uh, love the conjuring insidious like ghost stories that are very domestic like that mm-hmm. those have also really inspired me um I, and then, uh, sorry go ahead i was yeah i love i'm not a big conjuring guy i love the insidious movies though mm-hmm, like, that's mm-hmm. if i had to choose between those two i'm i'm a big fan of the insidious whereas my partner is all about the conjuring yeah right the conjuring i i didn't like the second one as much i really love the first one i thought it was so well done um and then Annabelle just sucks. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's yeah. Well, that was them just trying to tap that. What are the names right. of the uh, of the people? Um, the Warrens. The yeah yeah yeah. Just, that's them just tapping. You know, just you leading know. that, leading the Warrens for everything they can. Everything they're worth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing that I was going to say about my history with horror is that I've always just been really haunted. I've mm. always had sleep paralysis demons. I've always had very vivid nightmares. Um, I have sensed presences throughout my life. So a lot of my history with horror is just feeling haunted in real life and wanting to see that represented. So that's why I kind of, uh, gravitated towards horror books and horror movies growing up. Um, so then you believe, do you believe in ghosts and the spirits and stuff? Definitely. Yeah. 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 See, I don't, um, I'm, I'm too much of an atheist. I just, I just don't, mm-hmm. I'm too skeptical. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think that I have a spiritual connection to my ancestors, which isn't yep. the primary thing, but it's part of it. I think that, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say I believe in God per se, but I definitely believe in ancestral connections and I definitely have felt presences yeah. enter the room and move through the room and watch yeah. me i feel like a lot of people write that feeling off right i tend to say no that's definitely a dead person <laughs> yeah well that's an interesting thing too because um that's you know i've never that i'm aware of or, or was conscious of experienced something like that now mm-hmm. to having said that i maybe i did and i like you said i just wrote it off as a squeaky hinge, a squeaky hinge yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, and I certainly don't think you are quote unquote, a crazy person for thinking mm-hmm. that of, at all. Right. That's not, it's not what I mean. It's just, you know, it's sort of until, until I experience and can honestly say, I didn't know what the fuck that was. I'm just a little skeptical. Right. So, right. Um, but uh, I very much appreciate and I, how, that though, chemically people are wired differently. Mm-hmm. And I also very much appreciate the fact that people like, you know, like you said, you felt this, felt something a presence and you, this connection to it, to, to your ancestors. I do not discount that. I also do not discount the fact that because our brains are chemical and people are just more in tune with the energy in the earth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I absolutely buy that a hundred percent. And it also helps if you go to like haunted locations or right. like really old buildings yeah. where people have died. Like I went on a staycation to this hotel called the Artmore, mm-hmm. which is notoriously haunted. It's in Atlanta. And this, the spiritual energy in those hallways, like the hallways were pretty empty and not a lot of people were staying there when I went, but it felt like people were there. It just felt like I was being, I was 
walking down an empty hallway, but it almost felt like I had to weave around certain forces mm. of energy and it just felt very very powerful and strong in there because of that building it was built in like the 1920s and like housed um it like housed uh survivors of the titanic i think at one point so it was um yeah it was very strong in there and i think in certain locations like even if like you don't have a heightened sense of um sensing things you can still feel that yeah my uh one of my oh i was gonna say one of my probably my best friend he used to live in this old house and the up the top floor was basically an attic that had that they just finished right mm -hmm. and his dog he had this bulldog that would sit at the bottom of the stairs and just stare up into the attic and bark oh and growl oh, yeah. and growl definitely right so <laughs> like i don't we yeah now I also fully admit uh, I am a frequent smoker of marijuana, um, mm, certainly, at, certainly at the time. And, uh, you know, could have been just high as shit, but I didn't imagine, <laughs> I didn't imagine that dog barking up the stairs, but I'm, that's not what I mean. I just mean like, you know, your mind tends to wander sometimes. And uh, I don't know, I don't have an explanation for it. It's the only spot that dog would do that in. Right. Mm -hmm. He didn't do it anywhere else in the house that we know there was nobody physically up there, right? Because we were downstairs. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those weird things. Yeah. And like, that's what I'm, that's what I meant earlier where I'm like, I'm not like, you know, because yes, I am maybe skeptical, but I do not write up other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Dogs definitely sense energy. Um, <clears throat> Uh, dogs so always the, know anytime there's a horror movie there's there's a dog right yes. <laughs> so, yes. girl, and they warn you they fucking the dogs tell you every time but yeah horror. and they sense energy from people who are who are bad people like they know when people are right. that's right not are bad news they're, and i think that also ties into their spiritual connection an to excellent ghosts. judge of character dogs yeah for yeah sure. <laughs> um it's but that's the thing with horror is that it wouldn't exist if people like it's completely predicated on people characters making bad decisions right so mm -hmm. i mean like don't go down that dark alley but if you didn't then there wouldn't be a book or a movie so that's right. <laughs> just entirely the point um so you uh everything after everything you just said how do you feel about halloween though is it just a commercially stupid thing for you or do you actually enjoy <laughs> do you enjoy uh halloween at all that's so funny because it <laughs> like i've always I have not, like, I really enjoyed Halloween as a my, kid. My, and understanding there is a history behind it, right? Like, why it's, like, the actual history behind Halloween. Uh, um, yes. So, I really loved Halloween as a kid. It was my favorite holiday. And I loved the darkness of it. I loved dressing up. Um, I loved everything about it. As an adult, it has become kind of commercialized for me, which is really funny because I've always thought that. Uh, as an adult and never want to say it because I know that everybody kind of like gets into their spooky season vibes and wants it to be this big thing and changes their names on Twitter to their Halloween name and I just don't feel like for me it's like any kind of switch like I feel like Halloween for me is kind of year-round yeah and I just I'm always watching horror movies I'm always interested in cosplay I'm always interested in dark stuff and ghosts and it's just ongoing for me so 
it does feel a little bit commercialized, but I do enjoy it. Um, I enjoy going to parties and seeing costumes and the culture of it is really fun. So yeah, it is fun. And that's like, and I, and I would compare it to um, any other holiday, like just companies get a hold of it and, and commercialize mm-hmm. it. Right. And Halloween's no different, of course. And uh, yeah, but no, like that, you're right. There are people that just are, like, I mean, your book came out in July. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if yeah. they were that serious about it, every scary book would come out in October. Right. But no, they come out. Yeah. All- it's funny that it came out in July. I don't really, I think they were trying to get ahead of Halloween. Yeah. So that they could kind of have some momentum. Right. And hoping for a spike too, right? Because then if you if it comes yeah. out in October, you're not you're not gonna see a January spike on a horror book, mm-hmm. probably, right? Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. Um, yeah, no, I get that part for sure. But yeah, no, no, I don't like I I like you know, I like dressing up myself. Halloween parties are always a good time. It's cool when people, like you said, change their names and stuff and all that, but you know, I mean, I don't, you know, as far as like buying into this thing and like rushing out and spending a ton of money on costumes on plastic that just getting it fucking thrown out and, mm-hmm. or your kids are too big for the costume the next year, or, you know, whatever the case may be is like, and then this, this whole candy industry, <laughs> it's just like, it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but um, I do, I do appreciate the, uh, the historical aspect of it uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So um i really like my costume this year what is it it's nightwing i got a bodysuit nice and a mask and i just need to get my batons but so you could pull it off because i've seen your insta or your twitter pictures like you're in fucking really good shape right yeah like, you can pull you can pull that off i cannot pull that off i can't pull like, um, I- but actually the the costume has like a chest and abs kind of Oh, does it? Okay. But it's in like a realistic way. Like my brother saw it. He was like, is that really your chest and your abs? I was like, no, it's it's the design of the concept. <laughs> so it looks, it's not like the weird padding that the cheap ones have. It looks really realistic. Right. So um, I like that about it because it makes me look buffer than I actually am. Okay. Well, you're in pretty good shape <laughs> even without that stuff. So um, I need like, where's the, <laughs> I, I need the slightly overweight sweater wearing superhero. Like what's that? Um, <laughs> who's Who's that person? That's what I need. <laughs> Um, I don't if, know. if one exists, yeah, by design they don't, but that's all right. I'm the I'm the tech backup. You know what I mean? I'm like back uh-huh. at the computer, like we're we're we have earpieces and we're talking to each other, and I'm like, yeah, go into that room and then hang right. left. Yeah, yeah, that's everybody. Right. Need, everybody needs that. Um, that's right. Uh, what's um, what's the Punisher's one? What's his name? Microchip. I think his name's Microchip, isn't it? Yeah, like some I'm ridiculous, familiar. some ridiculous I'm not name. Familiar with the Punisher, like yeah, that. he's got. I think he's got. He's just a, his famous nerd sidekick is like Microchip or something. But anyways, yeah, that's that's who I'll be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just eating Cheetos, <laughs> just like yeah. But they're um, always the smartest in the team, so that's right. I'm back in the van. You get to hang out in the van. Um, how uh, how weird or creepy do you do? take your horror because my partner like the weirder the bloodier the crazier the better whereas i'm just like i'm i don't tend to like i like sort of a little more i like when stuff happens off off camera more than Mm -hmm. on camera you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm not too into gore yeah if it's overdone um or if it's done for shock value like if I'm in a horror movie universe where the gore is part of it, I can kind of get into it. Like if it's just like all throughout gory, um, I kind of become desensitized to it by like the middle of the movie. Um, I definitely prefer 
dread and psychological terror yeah. and just like the stuff that puts you on edge I think that is a lot scarier for me than the balls to the wall kind of like showing someone get stabbed in the face repeatedly uh, that's well, like, not scary to me it's just kind of gross well that's like the torture mm-hmm. porn stuff right like right. uh like the human centipedes and the the what's the famous one uh series Ugh. Where he sets the traps for all his victims. Uh, Saw. What am I thinking of? The series, the like the famous series. It's not Saw. Saw. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you just said that. And I was like, no, that's not it. It is it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were right. No, no. Sorry. Is there yeah. Another one. No, no. Well, there is, but knockoffs. I'm sure. But yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. Those. I those do nothing for me at all. Right. Like, I don't. I've actually never seen those movies. Yeah, they're just like I said. They're just like. Uh, of course, it's just yeah. It's like setting up one trap after another to do inflict the most gore or damage into a human, right? And mm-hmm. um, I mean, yes, there is a plot, I guess, to these movies. But no, I'm with you. I'm more stuff. I prefer stuff when it happens off camera. Like to me, there's it's scarier to hear like a scream off camera or a loud bang mm-hmm. or a noise, and you don't know what it is, right? Because they're not yeah. showing you what it is. That's scarier to me. Like yeah. Um, and then of just course. What's that? Just like uncanny stuff. I'm thinking of that scene in Insidious where the little boy was in the house just dancing. Oh, like, <laughs> that was right? like really terrifying for me, but it's just him dancing. Like it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be over the top to be creepy. Right. I mean, like my, you know, I'm a big fan of like um, poltergeist. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Just like when the little girl, you know, the famous they're here line and it's just a scratch, mm-hmm. just a scratchy TV, but you're like, what the fuck and you're like scared out of your mind or like um you know like a a sort of a claustrophobic psychological like alien or something you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i like that you get a sense of you know claustrophobia and and that stuff i'm really keen on that stuff for sure um but i'm because of my age though i'm also a product of like 80 slashers movies too right so all Mm -hmm. the friday the 13th the halloween's the uh, nightmare on elm streets all these types of things so Mm -hmm. but those never scared those were they're they're more fun they're, they're campy right they're yeah, camp i mean right. they are camp for sure especially like the, the more you get into it like i mean what with like jason x and stuff when he's in space i mean <laughs> clearly they're not yeah, trying like, to scare you they've long past trying to scare you but uh right. but there's yeah, a, but there is a subtext to it and you know with this fascination with real life uh you know serial killers and of course exist in real life and and mm-hmm. i want to ask you about you know, when you sit down to write a horror novel, how do you approach fictional horror when you yourself in, in either the marginalized communities, I mean, you guys mm-hmm. face daily horror. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, why? <laughs> why? You know what I mean? Like it's, it, this is, you have this intent to sit down and write a horror story, a fictional mm-hmm. one. And Jake Livingston in particular, though, is much more than that. It's the social commentary and it is fucking tight and bang on. And in fact, to me, is, is really the, the scary parts of the book. The daily stuff that Jake faces at school, uh, to me, is more frightening. Um, and some of the astral plane stuff that goes on. Um, it, it, do, you, do you think like think like that? Do you think like, I could almost write just a nonfiction book and it would be scarier? Um, I think that there are certain angles into this book that are not, um, they're not mirroring anything that I have experienced. Like I've never been to a school that is as white as St. Clair. I've never, 
I've never had that experience. I've been to uh, predominantly white institutions. I've been one of the only black kids in classrooms, but I've never had to go to a school that was as white as that school. <laughs> so I think that is that is fictionalized and it's kind of heightening the sense of isolation that I would feel in a classroom where I'm one of the only black students, but now it's saying, well, what if the whole school is white and how much isolation do you feel in that situation? So that is, I know that some people have had that experience, um, but to me it's dramatized and it really brings out the horror, the social horror of his predicament. And I think in (laughs) certain ways, a lot of the scenes, uh, if we're doing spoilers, we can talk about the stabbing scene. where Jake stabs his classmate. I think that is also something that, like I would never have done that. And it's, I I might've told off someone who said something racist to me, but I would never choose violence in that way. And I think that the book, throughout the book, it's kind of, it's really heightening things that are normal. Like the daily, like you said, it's bringing them to, it's still realistic, but it's bringing them to a more dramatized place. So that's kind of how I experience it. Right. Um, yes. And for the record, yeah, you, you have never stabbed anybody, nor do you intend this, <laughs> no, <laughs> whether I, they deserve it or not. Um, I don't think I'd take it that far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I, yeah, I don't, I am a non-violent person too. I don't need kick. It's this, this thinking of, of turning and I listen, I, but I've never been in a position where I needed to defend myself either. Right. So I don't, I couldn't say, I'm not saying it's a good or bad decision. Um, but having said that, yeah, you, but those experiences do happen across the, well, around the world, but across the U S in schools with black kids who are, do experience some pretty awful shit. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not, yeah, well, you yourself may not have experienced it. I think we all, it's no secret that many do. Um, what's something, what's, something more like uh, conventional that scares you in real life? Anything like I'm clowns. I'm scared of clowns. Oh, I'm very scared of clowns as yeah. well. What's your um, root? What's your origin with that? Mine is John Wayne Gacy, that killer, that serial killer. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. really interesting. And I love reading about him. Isn't he but... is super weird. I, at some point when I was younger, I, you know, the famous image of him and his clown, cause he used to go to be a clown uh-huh. and entertain kids. Right. So uh-huh. there's that image of him and, yeah, I remember that just like tearing through me as a kid. I was like, "Hold, that. yeah, what the fuck?" <laughs> what was his name? Pogo? Was that? Is he oh, Pogo? was it? Was that his? I don't even know if I know. It was it Pogo? Yeah, probably something. Yeah, I don't. Remember, I remember but... reading about that and just like wanting to go deep into research on him because it's just like you can't look away from it. You know, um, I think that for me, the clown thing ties into a fear of like just things that are painted on or just like uncanny in a way that they're like resembling humans, but not, (laughs) if that makes sense. Like I'm afraid of everything in the realm of like weird costumes, like those costumes that they wear at Disney world scare me as well. Yeah. With like, with the eyes and the painted on like the smile. Yeah. Um, Just things that are like human, but not, (laughs) Everything in that realm just freaks me out because it's it, I, I, it's like you can't know what something like that is going to do. Right. And that's I mean, we've just bit, we've also been conditioned to. Yeah. Like, I, I, I won't say not trust stuff like that, but mm-hmm. anytime it's weird because, you know, I think you you uh, like to tweet earlier. It just happened to catch it. The 
you know, Cassandra Shaw, Ka's book, Nothing But Black and Teeth. Yes. Like that's covered. That cover that. scares the shit out of me. I don't it's even know so if I'm going to build a room. <laughs> that's been sitting on my pile too forever. And I'm just like, I, it's like, I, I'm like, oh, I should read this now. And I pick it up. I'm like, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> I put it back yeah, I just love that cover. And I've been thinking about it ever since it came out. So right. I'm so glad it's out. <clears throat> and it's funny because like to your point, like there's a human essentially, a or humanoid, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, two arms, a head, and hair and stuff, but just slightly askewed, right? Like you said, sort yeah. of just different enough to where we're like, what is that? And yeah, it's the weird lipstick for me. That's yeah. really the thing that. It caught my attention. It, it, it's or it's like some of the what was the what was the creature with the with the eyes on the hands in uh oh Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, that dinner, yes. the dinner creature with the hands, like that thing scares the shit out of me. Um yes, and scary. it's 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 a slightly just like you said, it's it's you know, it's got a, two arms, two legs and a head. It's humanoid, it just but this you change that one little thing. If the eyes had been on the head, maybe I'm not scared of it. I don't know. But um, right. it's it, like the proximity to humanness. Yeah, that does it for me? Um, anything else? Like, just are you are you like existentially scared of anything? Like, uh, um, yeah, I'm really afraid of being lost at sea. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I don't really know why I have this fear because I have been landlocked my whole life, pretty much. Sea specifically, yeah, it's specific to to sea or the ocean or just a large body of water, I guess. The ocean ocean specific to the ocean like i i don't i don't just the fact that we don't know what's in the ocean and oh that part yeah okay that it's just like water and we're not you know we're we're land mammals so just be i'm not a great swimmer Um, i almost drowned as a kid it might come from that i almost drowned in a swimming pool as a kid my brother had to save my life (laughs) um shout out to my brother but yeah, being lost at sea, it's that's one of my existential fears. It's one of the things I had nightmares about as a kid, just seeing water all around me and having no land. It's um it's funny how this goes back to sort of like how our brains are wired because I almost drowned as a kid too, as a two-year-old. Like I would I just walked into water at one point, just like waddled in, and all my parents saw was like my head go under, and it was like on a, there was like a little ledge under the water, so I like dropped right down. And uh, so they had to like jump in and get me and stuff. And I'm a massive fan of the water to this day. Like I scuba dive, (laughs) swim, no issues at all. I'll swim at night. I've been in oceans, weird shark infested waters. I'll go in at night. I just have no fear. Yeah. I just have no fear that where my partner, if she can't see her feet, she doesn't go in. Um, And also (laughs) I was almost killed, nearly killed. Actually, I was in the hospital from a pit bull attack when I was five. Um, It was my fault. I was throwing rocks at it. I was just a stupid kid. And, uh, and, but to this day, it's my favorite breed. I've, I've had a couple in my life. Um, Mm. Love dogs to death. So it's just a right. Whereas, whereas you think I should be afraid of them. I am. It's the opposite. You're overcoming your fears. Yeah. But like, it's never been a thought. Like I've never once considered, and I've had some scary moments with dogs too. Even like, I remember I've had a couple like really crazy when I was an investigator, like ran for my life <laughs> from dogs wow. like Cujo moments right like just made it back wow. to the van in time and they jump up on the roof and they're like like trying to scratch the wood like crazy shit but it's never I don't know I've never once occurred it's never once occurred to me to be afraid of them so it's just kind of a weird weird thing but yeah uh, I think there's yeah like I've had certain experiences that were horrifying and I didn't develop 
fears, I kind of developed like a kinship to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah, of this yeah. One experience that I had when I was a kid, I actually just talked about this for the Wicked Read series that Penguin Teen is doing, where we're supposed to share our scariest real life story. Okay. Um, so my scariest real life story was when I was a kid, maybe about seven years old, I was just exploring things behind this hillside that kind of led to the woods. And there was this ditch that my foot fell into and the ditch happened to be a yellow jacket's nest in the mm. ground. So mm. when I pulled my foot out, all of the yellow jackets like rose up and just clung to my skin, like every piece of meat and started stinging me all over right. my body. And I thought that you were supposed to stay still when that happened. So I didn't run away. I just stood oh, still. No. <laughs> but I was just screaming and we were at like the tennis courts and my, my family was playing tennis and I was never into that. So I was just wandering around and they all like dropped their rackets and ran and scooped me up and threw me in the car and the bees were still in the car. So I had to kill them while we drove to the ER and it was just crazy. Um, but I'm not like really afraid of wasps and bees. Like I kind of feel intrigued by them mm -hmm. and yeah, it's weird. Cause that experience was so traumatizing, but I don't like, I'm fascinated by bugs and bugs that sting now. So it's interesting how the fears kind of, yeah. store of your brain it's yeah you're right it's kind of a way it's like your brain is is you know makes you forces you to understand them a bit more and when you do understand them a bit more you maybe understand like yeah no like i get why they did what they did i yeah. understand <laughs> right like i was I, 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 I stepped in there i attacked their home <laughs> that, or that's what they think anyways right like right. it's true when you until you see the other side of certain things and you, you get an understanding and appreciate even appreciation in some cases right so mm -hmm. um because yeah like that story if that happens to any almost anyone else they're definitely afraid of bees for the rest of their life maybe right mm -hmm. whereas yeah you just took it as a you know well why are they you just asked you maybe not even consciously but just your brain is telling you to ask the question why mm -hmm. why did they stick me and you're like oh yeah. like, oh because i just fucking destroyed the homeless <laughs> they spent a long time building um yeah, it's yeah i mean i definitely had a period where i was afraid of them and right. then as i grew up i just became so intrigued because that the pain that they inflicted on me was so intense that it's just some, something i can't look away from and i brought it into my fascination with bug horror and i yeah. do that now so nice thank you to those yellow jackets thank you yellow jackets and sorry about your home um one of the really cool things in Jake Livingston is uh, you really, it's an important issue, of course, in real life as well. This idea of, of possession and, you know, colonization of the body. And I don't, I don't know if there's anything, I don't know, scary. I've never experienced it. So I don't know if it's scary, but I, I'm definitely aware that it would be shitty to lose control of your own faculties, right? Or, mm -hmm. or to, to have someone else controlling your body and your, your, your maybe thoughts to a certain degree or whatever, that's pretty scary, isn't it? And we know now his, history has taught us, even if they, even though they've tried to erase a good portion of it, that so many people in America haven't always had control of their own bodies. And that could, could be from a spiritual sense, right? From a astral plane type of thing, or just a real life because of slavery and things like this. Talk mm -hmm. about that approach in Jake Livingston a little bit, like putting that in the story and how important that was to this story, because that's such a huge part of it. Yeah, I think the allegory for feeling a sense that you're losing control of yourself was really perfect for what I wanted to highlight in the contemporary elements. Um, Jake, you know, there's not a lot about the old school that he came from, or the old neighborhood that he came from, 
but it was a black neighborhood and he felt a sense of community and he felt a sense of belonging. And he felt like, you know, he didn't have to police who he was. He didn't have to shut himself down or be silenced in order to go about his daily activities and feel like he belonged. Um, and well, in a certain way he did, but that's more pertaining to the queer aspects of who he is. And I think the conflict with Jake and Sawyer, it's not explicitly stated, but it's the fact that Sawyer is white and Jake is black is definitely um, allegorical to what he's experiencing at school and impacts his fear of the situation and his fear of what he will become. So I thought that having him um, at a white school would just be the perfect thing to sort of emphasize what that fear looks like of having a white person say, your body's going to be mine now and there's nothing you can do about it. Cause that's really what it feels like, you know, when you're trying to immerse yourself in like a good education or whatever, or like a workplace that is run by higher ups who are usually white or just like any institution that we have to kind of um, mingle with in order to make it in this country you lose parts of yourself, you lose parts of your culture that are not considered professional or acceptable in the workplace. And just having that sense of, you know, feeling diminished is really hard because it's also linked to success. You know, you're trying to get ahead in life. You're trying to do all the things that you're supposed to do, but your culture is being left at the door. So that's kind of the, that's what I wanted to look at with uh, both the contemporary aspects and the ghostly stuff with Sawyer. Yeah. And also, I mean, just the fundamental right of being afforded safety. Like, I mean, the number one thing at schools are supposed to fucking keep you safe, right? Like that should be their first mandate. Um, and they never do. And they never fucking do. And maybe Jake doesn't have to stab. Um, what's the bully's name? Andy? Um, Not Andy. Chad. Chad. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, even, I was thinking like, like even a more boring white name. Than Andy. Oh yeah, I changed his name like really late. So whenever I have to talk about the character, I'm like, is it Mark? No, it's Chad now. It was um, Mark before. Okay. It was Mark. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, maybe he doesn't have to do that if he had felt safe, even just once, even just for a second, you know what I mean? That he could trust his peers or, his, or the adults in the room to do the right thing. And, uh, a lot of that, you know, so like to me, it's like he's taking control. He's taking the power back when he does that. And that's a big thing, too. Yeah. Like when this story later on, when as things progress and he gets uh, maybe uh, maybe confident isn't the best word, but maybe as he gets more more confident, I'll just use it, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with his medium, with his skills. And he, and he ends up learning more about, you know, why he has them in the first place. And, and he learns about how to, you know, just the responsibility of having this power and this ability. And I love that you, you get him to a point where he, he even gets a task, right? So he even, it's not just about taking care of Sawyer and then that's the end of it. it this really feels much like an origin story to me. Like, it feels like, mm -hmm. like this is just book one in like a paranormal investigative series. You know what I mean? Because he's so, he, he just, you can just feel him getting more confident. And then he gets, he's given this task by river, right. To deliver this note to her mother mm -hmm. rivers, rivers, uh, one of the dead people he encounters. Um, and just that confidence that he builds getting to that point in the story. Is that, is that sort of like, am I missing it? Or is that sort of, was that the whole thing about him? Like 
getting control, getting power back, taking power mm-hmm. back from these people who have done nothing but try to take it from him and the community. Right. No, I definitely think that's really head on. Yeah. You got it. Um, a lot of people say that it feels like the first book in a series. Yeah. Uh, I definitely wanted it. Like, I'm really inspired by. I definitely want to see another date with Alistair because it's. He, yeah. It's Alistair. Sl- I'm not a fan of slow burn romances, uh, Ryan. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to see it too. And it's just like, I definitely concede of the taking of Jake as like a standalone kind of superhero dark origin story. Um, I, and, and anyone who hasn't read it, this, it, I, I don't, you know, there isn't like a cliffhanger or anything like that necessarily. I don't like, it yeah. does work really well as a standalone for sure, but, but it does. Right. Yeah. It does feel like, uh, you know, the start of something. There is um, more, there's more, more to go. If you, if you, if you needed to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think with Jake's like standing up for himself, it's, it's funny because a lot of people, well, not a lot, but I've seen people say like, isn't there anything that he could have done other than choose violence? You know, where is the, like, what are we supposed to be left with about how kids can seek help? And I think that the reality for certain kids in certain situations is that they cannot seek help anywhere and they have to stand up for themselves however they feel that they can. Um, in the yeah. in, and Jake's violence comes out of this like suffocation the fact that he feels like there's no other way and if there was another way he would use it and I think that's kind of the idea behind it yeah uh, and well there's no respite either because like I mean his brother doesn't really come around until the end um mm-hmm. not in the way he needs him to especially anyways and you know he's being constantly like he's got this this dead serial killer school shirt like yeah. on yeah. his ass trying to like take his take his body from him take this from him yeah and then i mean imagine the stress what that will do to a person's mentality alone i mean mm-hmm. just imagine that for a second just being a medium, paranoia being a medium in general would be a nightmare i mean you're seeing dead people everywhere you go and they want something from you and then that's even if it's just a strange thing and then you go to high school, which is fucking hard enough, and you got to deal with Chad. <laughs> so like, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Like you're like, I would fucking stab him too. I, I have no problem with yeah. what with what Jake did. The, the the like I said, the adults are no good. His brother's not helping him out. He he just doesn't have a lot of friends. Alistair mm-hmm. isn't just that. Isn't you know isn't isn't that person in his life yet? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know what? Stab away. Uh, you know, right but, and it's, there's this sense yeah. that he's like really sweet and he doesn't deserve it like i think he's self he is self-aware in certain ways and learns more about himself as he goes but i think there's this sense that he knows that he's always had good intentions um all this bad stuff is happening to him and he just doesn't get it he doesn't know why and that adds to his sense of frustration and just like he is is a sweet guy he's a very sweet guy like it's 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 easy to be attracted to him like he's just a like i would want to go on a date with him he just seems like a really (laughs) he seems just like a really interesting nice nice person to be around right there's nothing wrong with that but you can only put a foot on somebody's neck for so long right and and that's that's what it is you know he's he means no harm and when you mean no harm and you're especially when you're a black boy 
uh, people project things onto you all the time. So yeah. he's just kind of frustrated with that. Like he wants to be seen for who he is. Absolutely. He wants to be seen for the nice kid that he is. And yeah. no one's giving him that grace. And he's just like, fine, I'm going to turn into the monster that you all want me to be. And nothing's going to change for me. Well, that's so. the thing. And it's like, they have all this expectations for, you know, white people we put on black people where it's like, you have, you're supposed to have this default reaction to me treating you like a bag of shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and he's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Time's up. Time's over, Chad. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Um, let's get you out of here sort of on this one. So, uh, th- you know, Sawyer's a very scary, <laughs> he's a pretty mm-hmm. fucked up dude and uh, does a lot of crazy shit. And I, I, I haven't really, I haven't read any interviews if you've had to answer this or not, but uh, mm-hmm. so forgive me if it's repetitive, but uh this I, this this understanding versus empathizing with him um mm-hmm. certainly no ju- certainly no justification going on right and uh no excuses i don't think either but what was your balance with that what was the fine line you were trying to walk with that oh the line was so fine it was so fine yeah like, the first time i actually made that i gave that character a redemption arc yeah uh, and it was kind of oh you did in I, in the first in the in the first draft yeah whose idea um, was to get rid of that the editor your editor or yours <laughs> it was kind of it was mine okay. um i definitely didn't want to leave the reader with this sense that like his actions were forgivable in any way right uh so i changed him i i was actually like really focused on taking that out to the point where my editor, when I sent back the revision, she's like, okay, now Sawyer's so angry that no one's going to want to read anything from his perspective. Um, maybe you should tone that down. So in the third draft, that's when I, or in the third revision, that's when I kind of, kind of finally started to find the balance between saying, okay, this is a human being. He has a family. Uh, his family is shitty to him in certain ways. He is trying to seek help for the problems that he knows he has. And it feels very like, you know, this guy, his doctor is just trying to get a paycheck and he knows that the people around him don't care about him. So these are things that he's dealing with that every human being deals with. He is a person. He's not like separate from all of the things that we deal with in terms of our sibling relationships and our parent relationships but he does have a problem that he might have been born with you know I don't know maybe I don't know that character really got away from me in a way where it's just like okay you know he's taking on a mind of his own some of the things he's saying I'm writing them but he's almost telling me to write them for him right and you really get to a point where your characters just start breathing for themselves and That's just right. saying the things that they want to say and I kind of allowed myself to just let that go you know and I knew that people were going to say oh this author is intentionally trying to some people say that he's like I'm trying to apologize for his actions and in certain instances it, I like I'll read certain lines in the book and I'm like I really wrote that but it was Sawyer, you know, he told me that he wanted to say that. So I think it was just kind of like finding that line between, you know, saying this character has a problem. He has a mental health issue, but the people around him are exacerbating that. So it's very complex and complicated. And I think in every line, I just wanted to strike that balance so that it felt realistic, but didn't feel like I was saying, you know, forgive the mass murderers in your life. (laughs) They deserve a break. Yeah. Um, um, 
No, I, I, I never felt that. Um, it's funny you say that, and you, you definitely changed the tone enough that I never once felt like redemption was in his future. Um, awesome. Yeah, I never felt that. Uh, but I also <laughs> never felt that like, but I never felt that you were making excuses for him either. Like, I, it just, it just felt like here's, and this happens, I'm sure all the fucking time, not the serial killer part, but just people are, you know, born uh, with some type of, you know, mental illness, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they ask for help and they don't get it. Mm-hmm. They either fall through the cracks or the system fails them for whatever reason because either the system is broken or it's underfunded and under you know what i'm saying yeah. um i mean so, some people even turn themselves in and right that's until, right like people are dead there's no reaction and and then of course it's only then when we say like we talk about you don't hear about warning signs until after somebody's killed somebody right and you know no again I, again and most people you know most people and of course neither of us are doctors or psychologists right so we're not we're not um, you know, we're certainly not broad stroking, but, um, it, you know, most people have a choice to make and some people make good decisions and some people make bad ones. And I, you know, and a lot of times when there's a cry for help and it gets ignored, <sighs> bad things happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that you, you did a, a real nice job of, of just saying like, this is his story and life is complicated and life is ugly and, a lot of people don't always have happy endings, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a good spot to end it. I think um, life is shitty. Where we should all, <laughs> and we should all be nihilists because it's meaningless. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what's um, Halloween special? Are you going to? Speaking of scary, like just the world pandemics in general and stuff. Good, good, good lord. Yeah. Are you? Uh, doing anything for Halloween? Are you going into a party? Are you doing anything at all? Or I know you got um, that sweet ass costume, but yes, I'm definitely going to step out as Nightwing. Yeah. Probably go to a party. I don't know which party, but they always have them. Yep. You know, so I'm just going to find one and do my nice. Nightwing thing and might eat some candy. Yep. Um, just going to have fun. Just a little bit of candy. You're, you're, Again, I it sounds like I'm obsessed with you, but I'm really not. But you are in good shape. <laughs> you are in good shape, so you'll sneak a, you'll sneak a little candy, but not a lot, I'm sure. No, I I I eat a ton of like sweets and big yeah, yeah. I just go to the gym. I go to the gym three to four days, so that's pretty much it. And I love vegetables too, so right. I incorporate a lot of like just everything into my diet. Yep. Yep. Just nutrition and yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, enjoy your Halloween activities, whatever you do. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Ryan, for coming on and doing a little Halloween chat with me and talking about Jake. We never got to talk during the release. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you inviting me. And this was a great conversation. Anytime, anytime. What uh, what's next? What do you got? I don't even know if I've seen anything from you. You got something coming out next year? Um, Not next year. Okay. My prediction is. 2024 2030 yeah like again it's so slow okay but um, But you got an idea and you're working on something though i'm working on something with my agent currently and i love it and it's gonna be awesome and are you allowed to say whether it's horror again or not it is horror okay perfect all right all right perfect okay well we'll definitely keep an eye out for that so um and obviously we'll get you back on in the year 2040 whenever that comes out (laughs) (laughs) awesome ryan thanks so much and have a great halloween
Thank you. You too. There you have it. Another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Ryan for taking the time to chat with me about Halloween, scary things, and the taking of Jake Livingston. The book is out now, obviously, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to ryandouglas.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there and have a happy Halloween. Halloween.